Welcome to Cliffs and Fences, the intersection of public health, policy, and healthcare. My name is Jared Ormsby, and join me as I sit down with medical professionals across the globe to discuss topics ranging from your personal health to reinventing how healthcare is delivered. Each episode is designed with the goal to make understanding health an easy-to-digest process. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to our channel and sharing it with those you know. If you have questions or want us to cover a specific topic, feel free to email the show at cliffsandfencespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. The following episode of Cliffs and Fences was previously recorded on August 13th, 2021 and was re-uploaded on December 24th under the new Cliffs and Fences title. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star review and share it with those you know. All right. Well, we'd like to welcome Dr. Paul Thomas. Uh, He's our guest today. He's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, his primary care clinic. Uh, Dr. Paul Thomas is a board-certified family medicine physician uh, practicing in Detroit. Uh, His practice is Plum Health DPC, direct primary care. Uh, And this is a service first of its kind in Detroit and in his county. Uh, His mission is to deliver affordable, accessible healthcare services in Detroit and beyond. Uh, He's been featured on numerous uh, local news stations as well as TED Talks. Uh, He is a graduate of Wayne State University School of Medicine and now a clinical assistant professor. Uh, And lastly, he has uh, authored a few books, Direct Primary Care, The Cure for Our Broken Healthcare System, uh, and Startup DPC, How to Start and Grow Your Direct Primary Care Practice. Dr. Thomas, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me on and thank you for the very kind introduction. (laughs) Absolutely. Happy to have you on. Um, So let's hop right into it. What is a direct primary care? It's still relatively new. Um, Not a lot of people have heard about it, but it does seem to be growing in popularity. So tell us a little bit about what is direct primary care? What's the difference? Yeah. So, you know, I believe that healthcare should be affordable and accessible for everyone. And I felt like in the fee-for-service system or in the typical insurance-based system, I wasn't able to achieve those aims as a physician. And so I started my own practice and we practice in the direct primary care model, which means I give my primary care services directly to my patients and they pay me directly for the services. The way that we have it set up is that all of our patients pay us about $50 a month. And with that $50 a month, they can come into our clinic and see us anytime they need to without a copay. They can also call, text, or email us anytime. And then we save people 50 to 90% on meds, labs, and imaging services. And so that's the basics of it. We don't bill or use insurance. Uh, If people have insurance, that's fantastic, but it's not required to be a patient in our practice. Very interesting. You know, I didn't actually know that about, you know, I I knew sort of the setup about the clinic, but there's also some... um secondary interventions like medications and imaging that you uh, seem to be involved with as well. What was, so it sounds like uh, with your education, um, you obviously dealt with the traditional healthcare system, dealing with insurance. What sort of, what was your switch point that you said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this, this healthcare uh, as it is. I'm done with the insurance games. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the the story behind the, the, the drive, I, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, getting, when I started my journey to become a doctor, I was volunteering at a clinic for homeless folks, uninsured folks, elderly folks. 
And I was spending 30 minutes to an hour with these people. I was learning all about them. And it was this joyful experience of taking care of you know, vulnerable people and helping them meet real needs that they had and uh, be able to get a physical so they could get into a, a shelter or refilling their meds so they could control their blood pressure. And that was magical. It was transformative. It made me want to be a doctor, to spend time, to get to know people, to understand who they are, where they're coming from. And then as I went further and further into my training, I noticed that I had less and less time with my patients. And instead of practicing medicine and listening to people's concerns and helping them meet that next need, I was becoming like a referral machine. I was basically a funnel for a hospital to get patients to higher cost specialists that made the hospital more money, like orthopedics and oncology and right. urology, et cetera. So I was a conduit for a health system to make a lot of money. And that didn't feel great. I saw that I would be contracted to see 25 patients in a day, which would be less than 20 minutes per patient visit. And then more than half of my time as a clinician in the insurance-based system is spent on the computer, documenting, billing, and coding so that my hospital gets paid for those patients that I see. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to spend 30 minutes or an hour with my patients. I wanted to listen to their concerns fully and help them get to their health goal. And so basically at the end of my residency, I saw the writing on the wall and I decided that I needed to start my own practice if I were to thrive and become the physician that I was meant to be. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's definitely just the little bit of reading that I've done. A lot of primary care physicians, and, and maybe this is true for physicians in general, um, really feel that they're not able to, to, to get anything done because they, like you said, they have just that 20 minutes, sometimes less, depending on uh, where you're located, um, to, to get as much as they, they, they can. And, and 20 minutes is, I mean, uh, how, how, much, how much time are you given now, now that you, you know, don't deal with insurance, you don't have uh, sort of this, you need to see this many patients uh, at a time, how much time are you spending with your patients? Yeah, right now, I typically have 30 minute appointments to one hour appointments with my patients. And I love that. Um, today, I saw a family with three daughters and they all needed school physicals. So we blocked out an hour and a half and they, uh, you know, we, we did the school physicals, but then they also had me listen to their hedgehog that they brought. They were worried that their hedgehog might have a palpitations or something. And then they had this little dolly that they made me listen to. And I get to enjoy medicine uh, where, you know, we went through their vision screening and, you know, they were naming all the colors and all the little stars and triangles and sailboats and kitty cats that were on our, you know, pediatric vision chart. And that was a lot of fun. I was able to yeah. do that myself and help guide them through that uh, pediatric vision assessment. Uh, whereas if I were in an insurance-based system, I might have, you know, five to 10 minutes which e with each of those girls to do that assessment. And, you know, it becomes more of a chore than something that should be enjoyable. And so, you know, that's right. kind of like the fun part of medicine is getting to know people, uh, helping them get a school physical done or helping them manage their blood pressure, learning about them. Um, you know, I have a patient that brings poetry and reads poetry to me when he has his appointments. And if I were an insurance-based physician, that just wouldn't be possible or that would really burn me up. But now that I have an hour with him, you know, that's, actually something I really look forward to and enjoy listening to, which is kind of wild that never happened in 
my insurance-based gig. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, when I just go into visits, I, I couldn't imagine making time for that. Um, you know, doctors are, you know, they, they say the, the doctor's offices want you to show up uh, 15 minutes early so they can be 30 minutes late. I mean, and, and being able to engage with your patients that way would um, definitely make you run even later. Um, that's awesome. Now, um, most, uh, most insurance, at least here where I'm at in California, kind of the insurance that I had growing up, um, primary care was already included in what my parents, um, employers gave them. Being, you know, the owner of your own practice, how do you convince people that may already have that uh, type of insurance to say, hey, come spend the extra fees uh, to see a primary care doctor uh, here in our clinic? Yeah, I don't really have to convince people because they're already looking for it. Mm -hmm. They're looking for a doctor that's going to see them on time, that's going to be engaged and thoughtful, that, um, you know, really has enough time to address all of their concerns and doesn't brush their concerns aside. Um, you know, so I, I write about what I do on my blog and people are using Google to search for a compassionate physician and they often find us. Um, they are also using social media and a lot of my patients post about how good our practice is and how much they love our service on Facebook or Instagram. And so people in our community see that. And, you know, as I've become an expert in primary care, as I've talked a lot about, let's say coronavirus, I've been invited on to different TV programs, radio programs. So people hear me just talk about what I do and how I uh, help people avoid coronavirus or get people the vaccine or help manage coronavirus infections, et cetera. Um, so they hear me you know, on the radio or on TV and that's how they find our practice. So, you know, these are the ways that I reach out to people. Um, I write blog posts. I, I post stuff on my Instagram or my Facebook page, or I engage with journalists. And, and this is the way that people hear about us and find us. So I don't really have to convince people anymore. It's more of they're already looking for a doctor that does this sort of care or delivers compassionate care and service, an excellent service, and then they find our clinic. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't know that the demand was already there. And that's, that's actually really interesting for anybody listening that, you know, may want to be looking to start their own clinic is, hey, the demand is there. Patients are looking for a, a compassionate, they want a relationship with their primary care doctor. And that's, that's fascinating. Um, now, you've laid out a lot of uh, advantages of having a, a direct primary care clinic, the time, the relationship building, it seems that your patients really do enjoy this format. Are there any drawbacks that um, patients or providers should be aware of that um, direct primary care doesn't, you know, or, or what are the, what are the advantages that it doesn't offer? Yeah. So, you know, there are some advantages to getting care through insurance. Um, you know, if you talk about pediatrics, all pediatric vaccines are covered by insurance. If you don't have insurance for your child, or if you go through a service like ours, uh, pediatric vaccines could cost like up to a thousand to $1,500. So, wow. um, now we work with patients, a lot of patients see us, and then they go to the health department to get their vaccines uh, for their kids. Okay. So that's a, like a workaround, but you know, it just becomes an extra step. Um, and then there are some, there's a company called VaxCare 
that's trying to kind of alleviate that friction point. And so um, what they do is they build the insurance company for providing the vaccine. They send the vaccine to our clinic and we administer it. And so that way we're not building insurance for that service. A third party is, but they're still getting the vaccine for free through their insurance. And so that's something that we're trying to work on. Uh, VaxCare is newly coming into our state, Michigan, uh, and it's been operating successfully in other states like Kansas or let's say Oklahoma or something like that. So we're excited about being able to work out some of those pain points. Um, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the biggest drawback is, you know, some things that are free through insurance, um, in air quotes, free, um, air quotes, free. Yeah. Um, would cost money in our place. But then on the other hand, you know, you might fill your blood pressure medication, let's say lisinopril at the pharmacy and your copay through your insurance is $10. Well, that medication costs 30 cents at our office, you know, so then wow. you're paying, you know, you're, you're saving 95% on that one medication at our clinic, or you're getting a yeah, like, very big difference, you know, a couple thousand percent markup when you buy at the pharmacy from 30 cents to 10 bucks. Right. So, you know, there's some hidden costs to using insurance. Um, likewise, like sure. blood work. So, you know, if you do your annual labs, comprehensive metabolic panel, complete blood count, thyroid test, test for diabetes, and um, you get that down at the hospital, that could be $500. We've seen the bill for somebody who got those, you know, five mm -hmm. tests basically for $500, $100 a piece. At our office, those tests cost $32. And so again, we're saving people like 97, you know, like 92% on those labs. And so again, that's another hidden cost of like having insurance is there's a hospital markup and then an insurance discount. And then if you're uninsured, you don't get that insurance-based discount, or maybe you go on, you go to the hospital and get that $500 with the labs done. Your insurance pays out 80% of that. So you're left with a hundred dollar bill for labs that cost 32 bucks. You know, that's, that's like right. a hidden cost of using your insurance. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is, is really free. Uh, I, I did enjoy those air quotes. Um, <laughs> one something, uh, this wasn't a, a previous question that, that we discussed, but what's, what's holding, what's holding America back from just adopting this? Uh, I mean, you you mentioned that there are some semi cons to direct primary care, but there's uh, it seems like there's a lot of resources that that you can work around uh, these these sort of drawbacks. So what's what's holding America back? Why you know why hasn't this been adopted you know everywhere? Well, I think you know I, obviously I'm a pretty strong advocate and champion for this, and as more and more doctors embrace this there'll be more advocates and champions for direct primary care. But yeah, you know, let's face it. We haven't been on Oprah yet. We haven't been on Ellen yet. We haven't been sure. on the front page of the New York times or the front page of the wall street journal. Like it's going to take something like that to kind of wake people up to the reality that there is an alternative. And, you know, right now, um, there's about 133,000 family physicians across the country and about 1,000 to 1,500 of them are doing direct primary care. So that's like, you know, about 1% of the 
of the physician work workforce, family physician workforce right. is actually practicing direct primary care. And so then, you know, you look at that, maybe 1% of the population could then take advantage of direct primary care. I have a feeling that it's, there's probably an 80, 20 rule in the future where 80% of people are going to be really comfortable with their insurance. Don't want to pay a dime over what their insurance covers. And then the 20% of people who are looking for compassion, excellent service, uh, transparent pricing, a relationship with their physician, they're going to switch over to direct primary care eventually. It's just kind of like, how fast is that transition going to happen? You know, if I get on Oprah tomorrow and we have like a Megan and Harry type sit down that's broadcast at like five o'clock <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday, you know, that transition could happen in a week. Um, right. You know, I'm hoping that happens. Oprah, if you're listening, call me uh, or call my, <laughs> call my people, have your people talk to my people or, you know, somebody gets on Ellen or, you know, we get a lucky break and get in the New York times. We, as in the direct primary care physicians who are practicing this, but uh, you know, it's just going to see, it's going to take some kind of media thing like that to accelerate this, but otherwise we're going to slowly drift towards an 80, 20 rule in my opinion. Gotcha. Now, is there any, um, you know, obviously with the media and how fast, you know, you can get the word out there contingent on its, you know, the, the media name is big enough are uh, on sort of the government politics side. Are there any politicians out there that are advocating for this currently, um, that could sort of help with, with that message that you know of? Yeah. You know, there's a couple, well, number one, uh, Direct primary care is codified in the Affordable Care Act. There's a line item in the 2013 Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, that says that direct primary care is a retainer-based healthcare service that's legal. And then here in Michigan and in several other states, there's favorable state laws that allow for the practice of direct primary care. Um, and that classifies it as something separate than insurance. You know, it's a retainer-based mm -hmm. medical practice or a membership model for healthcare, however you want to phrase it, but it's legally encoded in several states and our federal healthcare legislation. Now, there's been some advocates um, and some bipartisan uh, introduced bills uh, into the House and Senate, uh, but a lot of those have stagnated. So we'll see. I think Representative Alexander... Um, I think Senator Alexander in Virginia, I think, is a supporter. Um, okay. And so we'll we'll see what happens. I'm not really holding my breath. I know how things get made in Congress. Um, so sure, yeah. Uh, I think it's more more likely that it becomes more of a grassroots thing, where more and more people learn about direct primary care and want it for themselves and their community. And then they start bugging their local doctor to switch from fee-for-service to DBC. And then maybe a direct primary uh, or a family physician hears about this and starts their own direct primary care practice, maybe converts their old practice or starts something new right out of residency like I did. And then they find 500 patients that are now huge fans of direct primary care. And then they don't see how they could go through their healthcare experience without it. So then they become advocates and they tell about they tell their friends and family members in other states, hey, you should look for a direct primary care doctor. That's how I get some right. patients. That's how some of my colleagues are taking care of friends and family of my patients in other states and cities. So, you know, it's kind of like a grassroots kind of 
effect. Right. Now, so it seems as though getting getting patients on board, we're, we're, I'm kind of going in a different direction. Patients are getting on board um, when they hear about it, they like the sound of it, the demand is there. Um, what about what about physicians, right? Um, are there any uh, critics that are, you know, providers that say, hey, like this doesn't, this doesn't really work, it's never going to work, and therefore I'm not going to switch to this kind of practice? Are there any voices like that? Um, yeah, there, of course, there's haters out there. They're mostly in the ivory tower. Um, okay. But, you know, it's, you know, they can say whatever they want, but the, the reality is that there's a market demand for doctors to go outside of insurance and provide people with a different kind of care um, than what they're used to in the fee-for-service world. And plus those people who are the loudest critics have like academic practices where they maybe only see you know, 500 patients or 250 patients and then spend the rest of their time teaching residents or writing papers or engaging in research. So, you know, it's like whatever, man, uh, as the big Lebowski <laughs> might say. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's what's great about living in the United States and being an American. You can do what you want and serve people the way that resonates with you and make a living doing that. And you know, that's what I, I like to do. I like to take care of my patients this way. Of course, you know, there are people who are critical of direct primary care because the typical family physician has, let's say 2,500 patients and the typical direct primary care doctor has about 500 patients. So they're saying, oh, you're abandoning those 2000 patients, that gap of 2000 patients. In my opinion, I think we need more doctors to engage in direct primary care because it inspires medical students to want to engage in primary care. Face it, like we have a lot of students who are choosing specialty care because they can get paid more, the hours are better, um, it's more fulfilling in fee-for-service to be a specialist. But then, you know, I'd like to show people that family physicians can earn a good income, can see five to 10 patients a day, can fully engage with those people and take care of them uh, the way they want to be treated. And, uh, hopefully I inspire other, you know, pre-medical students, medical students, residents to pursue primary care through a direct primary care model. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're, I think that's definitely with, I, I feel as though that the, the people entering into medical school, even probably those, uh, in medical school right now, you know, have grown up with that sort of social justice ideology and they, they want to help people. Um, and they, they want to, they want to disrupt certain, you know, systems that aren't working. And I think healthcare is one of those. And, you know, I hope that that energy, uh, stays alive because I, I, I personally do see a lot of potential, you know, with what I've read and what you're saying today. Um, so that's, that's extremely fascinating. Um, well, Dr. Thomas, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation, and um, we hope all the best for, for you and your practice. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jared. It's been awesome. Uh, really great conversation, and best of luck with the podcast. I really appreciate it, Dr. Thomas. You have a good one, okay? You too. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Cliffs and Fences. The best way to help this show is to share it and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
For podcast updates, follow me on Instagram at Cliffs and Fences Podcast or on Twitter at Jared underscore Ormsby. 